I appreciate so much um, a church that cares for its pastor. God's given us a tremendous pastor, and I thank God for him every day. And um, that you would honor his wife is a tremendous thing. My dad pastored a church down in Florida that I grew up in for 40 years. And one of the things he taught our church for many, many years is that the true heroes of the faith are the ladies that stand behind the men of God. And uh, surely God has given Brother Randy a tremendous wife, and we thank God for her. And if you're able to help with that, I think that would be a tremendous honor for her and uh, certainly would be an encouragement, I'm sure, to our pastor as well uh, to know that there's a church that cares for his wife, and we thank the Lord for that. And uh, John chapter 4 this morning, I enjoy the opportunity pastor gives to preach. I don't get the opportunity to preach uh, uh, on a regular basis, but I enjoy the opportunities that I get. And the pastor's had me preach an awful lot here lately, so uh, I enjoy hearing him preach. And I've uh, certainly uh, been uh, thrilled to be here in this church and uh, to be under his ministry. And I thank God for him. He's a man of God, and certainly God is using him in a tremendous way, and we thank the Lord for him. Pray for their safety as they travel. John chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse number 34. Uh, Christ in his earthly ministry has just met the, the woman at the well and has uh, given her water to drink that she would never thirst again and uh, told her everything that she'd ever done. And uh, so we come off of that uh, point in time and his disciples come on that scene. The Bible says that while he was there talking with her, they came up on him. And uh, so that's kind of where we're at, and we'll pick up reading. Uh, we'll back up just uh, a little bit. Um, let's back up to verse 27, if you wouldn't mind, so we can kind of get the context of everything. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And to finish his work. We're going to come back to that verse, but I want you to notice two things in it here at the onset. Number one, his meat was to do the will of him that sent him and to finish his work. And I want you to notice those two things. Say, not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit. Unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Lord, we ask this morning that you will control over the next few moments our hearts and our minds. And Lord, no matter what may be going on in every individual life in this room, I pray that at least for the next little while here, that you will cause our thoughts and our minds to be focused on the truth of your word. And Lord, may we lay aside the cares and the burdens that so easily seem to beset us. 
And I pray that you would help us to focus in on the things that you would have for us, that your Holy Spirit would have free course in our hearts this morning. And Father, I do pray that you will use your word and your Holy Spirit to do your work. And as we preach from without, I pray that you would uh, touch the hearts of men on the inner man and on the inside, and that you would draw those that are in this room this morning that perhaps are not even saved to a saving knowledge of you this morning. And for those that are saved and those that know you as their Savior, I pray that you will encourage and strengthen our hearts and that you will show us the urgency of the hour. And Father, we pray that you will bless this morning's message, that it will be the message for the hour, what you would have for us. And I pray that you would take full control, that you would be honored and glorified in it and through it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Several years ago, my wife and I took a group of young people uh, on a youth conference trip. And boy, I'll tell you, if you've never been with a group of young people on a youth conference trip, uh, you've missed a great experience. And there's no, no... uh, nothing in this world like quite like a youth trip and uh, where you go and the bus breaks down. Amen. Uh, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You've been on a youth trip like that? Absolutely. That's part of the fun of the youth trip is when the bus breaks down and it's not a real good youth trip if it doesn't. And uh, we went on this trip and sure enough, our bus broke down on the way and uh, our tire blew out and we got it back on the road and got up to the youth activity and, and the youth rally. It was about a week long conference that we were going to, had good preaching and and good decisions, and uh, one of the activities that they had us uh, do at the youth conference was to go to an amusement park, and uh, I think it was uh, Kentucky Kingdom or something like that, and uh, we went to this amusement park. Now, I am a youth pastor, and uh, I like uh, to let the kids know that, hey, I'm willing to do anything that y'all can do, and that I like rides that you like, and, and of course the truth is I don't, but I like them to think that anyway. And uh, we went uh, to the amusement park, and, and I don't mind at all rides that go like this and rides that maybe can corkscrew like this. But if you get me on a ride that does this right here, I don't, I don't do real well. How many of you are in the same boat? You know what I'm talking about? And so I don't like to go on rides that go like this. Now, roller coasters don't bother me. They don't thrill me as much as they used to. Uh, but uh, I, I just, you know, I, I don't mind them. I can do a roller coaster. That's not a problem. But they had a, um, a ride at this uh, amusement park that, I'll be real frank with you, the man who designed it had to be half insane. It was called the Drop Zone. And uh, there was a tower. It was about 14 miles tall. And uh, I think you had to wear oxygen as you went up on it. I mean, it, was, it seemed to go on and on and on forever. And they would strap you in these seats. Now, anything they have to strap you into, you can mark it down. It's just not a smart thing to do. And uh, so they strap you into these seats, and they haul you up to the top of this thing. Now, they don't do it quick. They haul you up very, very slow. And you know why they do that, don't you? They want you to get that adrenaline going and to be scared. And the higher you go, the more scared you get. And it's, it's funny to watch uh, the folks that are on it. You know, the line that you stand in for an hour. And uh, we stood there, and I was watching as these young people were getting on and off of this ride. Now, uh, young people always know that, you know, it's best if a guy and a girl go together because the girl gets scared and, you know, she wants to grab the arm of the guy, you know, and he's like acting all tough. Now, let me tell you something, ladies. I'm going to give you a secret here. The guy's scared, too. He just doesn't show it. It's, it's hilarious to watch. My wife and I, we were in the line. We were watching this thing. We went up there, and I tried to avoid it all day long. They got me in the line. We're watching this young couple get on there, and 
they go up to the top, and the guy's acting all cool, you know, and he's, oh, wow, this is great. And this guy's swinging his legs, you know, and, and she's like, oh, stop, stop, you know, and she's all nervous. And they get up to the top, and, and uh, they let this thing go. And uh, this guy, I mean, his hair is like, like this, and, and his face is like this, you know, and, and then you get to the bottom, and the brakes come on, and you know, throws him down in the seat, and, and they get off the ride, and the girl's all like, ah, you know, all flighty. And the guy comes off, and he's like, oh, yeah, that was okay. That was all right, you know. And the girl's like, let's go on it again. He's like, eh, if you want to, you know. And inside he's saying, I hope she doesn't. <laughs> but um, I was watching these folks, and they got me on that thing. That was the craziest thing I ever did in my life. I had hair before I got on it. And uh, I had hair after, just not as much. But uh, we went on that ride. We got done with the youth conference, went home, went a whole year. Didn't have to ride anything like that. But the next year we were going back to the same youth conference. And guess where they took us for one of the activities? You guessed it, the same place. Now, this year I was already committed. You know what? I don't care if they call me a sissy. I don't care if they tell me I'm going to sit on the old man's bench. I'm not going on that ride again. I don't care what they think of me. It's just not worth it. For weeks leading up to it, they would say, Oh, Brother Greg, you've got to go on the drop zone. You've got to go on the drop zone. Two weeks before we left on the trip, I picked up a newspaper in our hometown and then an article that there was a ride in California called the Drop Zone. Did some research, found out it was manufactured by the same company. It was just a few weeks away from a safety inspection. And one of the seats, when it was coming down, broke loose. And a 10-year-old boy was killed as his seat plummeted to the ground. Now, I didn't want to go on it the first time. But I'm going to tell you right now, the second time, there was no way I was going to go on it. And I thought of that often as I thought, I wonder that young man who got up that morning so excited, ready to go to an amusement park. I mean, he had his whole life before him. I can imagine probably for weeks he dreamed about going to this amusement park with his family. And that morning as he got up and wondering what to wear and, and, and getting mom, I can almost see it, mom and dad taking their time as mom and dads do on things like this. And he's just tugging at him. Let's go. Let's go. We've got to go. We, I don't want to miss anything. I want to be there when the doors open. And I thought often of that young man as he woke up that morning without any idea that before the end of the day, he would stand before his master and his savior. Or did he? The truth of the matter is, I don't know whether the young man was saved or whether he was not. I do know this. He did not expect to die that day. We get to our passage this morning in John chapter number 4, and the disciples are coming to Christ. And he makes a statement to them that I think is one of the most probing statements in a Christian's life. As he says in verse number 34, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. By the best estimates that we can tell, the world today has just a little over 7 billion people than in existence today. From surveys that First Bible International and uh, Brother uh, Keen, Brother Charles Keene have done, uh, I, I understand that well over half of those people have never even one time, not one time, 
heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't even have a Bible in their own language. I sit here this morning and I know if I go over to my house, I can walk in and find probably four or five Bibles that I have laying around that I own. And many of you could do the same. And yet, we've been given a commission by the Lord Jesus Christ before He left and as He was getting ready to ascend back into heaven. And He gets to His disciples and He says to His disciples as a last word of commendation and as a last word of challenge, He says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I want to share with you this morning that God did not intend for the Great Commission to be fulfilled just sometime during the history of mankind. But God intends for that command to be filled in every generation. The generation that you and I live in, it is our responsibility, those of us who have light, to share that light with a lost world who does not have that light. It is the responsibility, it is the command of God that you and I are to be taking the gospel which we have so graciously received from our our Lord and Savior and to share it with those around us. Quite possibly today, over 6,000 people worldwide will die and go off into eternity one way or the other. Either they will die having placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to be forever with Him, in glory, or else they will die and go off into a Christless eternity. Several years ago, I was sitting in a hospital waiting room as my father was having some surgery done on a carotid artery. I picked up a Reader's Digest and was reading a story of some geologists who had gone down into South America to study a volcano down there. They had put some seismic instruments down inside the crater and There were some unusual readings that were going on, and so they decided that they needed to get all their instrumentation and back out because it was just unstable. It was too dangerous for them to be there. And so they sent two of their geologists over the rim of the volcano and down into the volcano to retrieve their very expensive equipment. And while they were down there, the volcano erupted, and the two were killed instantly. And the words that were used in the Reader's Digest magazine were this, it was mercifully over in an instant. And as I read that sentence sitting there in the waiting room of the hospital, I thought in my mind, or was it? Because I'll tell you that in that in that split instant, in that split moment where these two geologists realized that their lives were in danger and they felt the searing heat of that volcano erupting towards them, I'm sure that in that 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 one moment as they were thinking of that, they were not thinking of what eternity would bring. But the truth of the matter is that if they were lost today, that was just the beginning. Perhaps they had never heard. The story does not give indication whether they were saved or not. Reader's Digest is not a Christian periodical by any stretch of the imagination. But I say all that to say this. How many people do we come across in a day's time that we don't know but what they're going to enter into eternity tomorrow. Some of us got up this morning, got dressed, had the day before us, thought, well, we're going to go to church Sunday morning. I don't know if I'll go back Sunday night or not. You know, I don't want to give too much to the Lord today, but, you know, we've got plans and we'll have lunch and then we'll have some family time and, and then we'll go to bed and I've got all these plans for this week. I've got to go to work. I've got all these different things. Not one of us ever dreams That this morning may be the last day. That this morning may be the beginning of eternity for us. 
I was preaching in Florida in the church that I pastored down there about five or six years ago now, and we had a Haitian ministry in our church, and we had a Spanish ministry in our church, and one of our Haitian uh, brethren that were there and, and uh, was a Christian fellow and loved the Lord, his car had broken down that morning, and a lot of the folks from Haiti are not, they don't, they don't mind walking to church. And so he got up that morning several hours early and walked to church, sat through the preaching time and enjoyed the time of preaching and the time that our Haitian pastor spent with them and singing the songs of Zion. And he left our church that afternoon walking home and he turned to left out of the driveway and got about 500 feet down the road and a car struck him and killed him instantly. He woke up that morning and had no idea that today would be the day that he would enter into eternity. The Bible teaches us that we must not say that there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. We as God's people cannot sit back and say, well, we enjoyed the blessings of God on our ministry and on our lives, although we ought to do those things. But let us not sit back and say, well, we have all of our lives to reach the world. This world that we've been commissioned to reach, this world that we've been commissioned to take the gospel and to, to every creature. And, and, and we don't sit back and say, well, we've got all of our lives to do that. Or, or God will use somebody else to do that. My, my friend, it is your responsibility and it is my responsibility to take this blessed book, which God has so richly given to us with his truth in it, and to share it with a world that has never heard before. Dr. Charles Keene, who has established First Bible International, he was also responsible years ago as he pastored the church in Milford, Ohio, of starting the Bearing Precious Seed. Many of you are familiar with that ministry. Dr. Charles Keene has done some research and has found that only two-tenths of one penny out of every dollar that we give to missions goes toward reaching people who have never heard the gospel before. The other 99 and 8 tenths cents of that dollar go toward missions and ministries that already have the gospel. And I ask you this morning, and you don't need to answer, but I do want you to ask it in your heart. Are we succeeding in the command that God has given us to reach the world with the gospel? There are several things that are excuses that we use. Well, I'm just one person, Brother Greg. What can I do? God can do an amazing thing with one person. A young man by the name of D.L. Moody years ago who was entering into the ministry and really was a fairly powerless preacher stumbled across two ladies one day in a park and they were talking with him. They had heard him preach before and they said to Dr. Moody at the time or D.L. Moody at the time, he said, The world has yet to see what a man completely yielded to the Holy Spirit can do for him. That statement struck his heart, and as he thought on that and prayed on that, he was walking down the street and finally had to get a room, and he told the Lord, he said, By the grace of God, I will be that man. And God empowered that one man to shake two continents for the Lord Jesus Christ. One man. Look at the room today. There's probably five or six hundred in here, evangelistically speaking. Amen. Lord willing, one day. Amen. We've got a good crowd here this morning. I don't know how many are in here, but I do know that 120 that met in an upper room one day began to pray 
And the Holy Spirit empowered them, and Peter stood up, and in one day, 3,000 people came to know Christ as their Savior. One man. Say not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are right already unto harvest. I want you to notice several things as we look at our Scripture this morning. If you will look with me in verse number 35. The Bible says, first of all, that the challenge that Christ gives to his disciples, first of all, is to lift up your eyes. Can I say this? We live in a society today where we don't look around. In fact, the Bible says, see then that you walk circumspectly. You know what the word circumspectly means? Circum, of course, means around, and speckly means to look or to view around, to be aware, to know what's going on in the world today. But we as God's people are so consumed many times with making our livings and dealing with our families and and trying to deal with the cares of this world that we fail to see the condition that our world is in. And what God told the disciples first, he said, fellas, in order for you to be able to do a work for me, the first thing you're going to have to do is to lift up your eyes. Quit walking with your head in the sand. Quit walking with your eyes down. Get out here and lift up your eyes and look. Not only were they to lift up their eyes, he says, I want you to look. Now, I'm going to tell you, you can see without seeing. You know, the Bible says that. Just like you can hear without hearing. You wives know what that is, don't you? You say something to your husband and he hears, but he doesn't really hear, does he? Kind of goes in one ear and out the other. They heard something, but they didn't hear what you said. You know, it's possible to see and not see. As you go down the road, if you pass by a billboard, can you remember what was on it? Years ago, I was uh, taking a a driving test for my CDL license and uh, was so focused on getting everything right in the driving portion of the thing. I had a big school bus, and I'm nervous about it, and I've got the examiner in the bus with me. We drive down the road, and we uh, get off of an exit. We were up on an interstate-type thing. We get off of an exit, and he says, I want you to pull over the side of the road for a minute. And he said, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And I said, okay. So we pulled over the side of the road, and I secured the bus. And he said, Greg, he said, what was the clearance of that bridge that you just passed? How many of you have seen a clearance sign on a bridge before? How many of you know that you can hardly ever remember what it was (laughs) after you passed it? You can see without seeing. So not only were they to lift up their eyes, the Lord tells them, look. I want you to look. The word look has the idea that you have a purpose behind it. I'm not just going to see the fields. I'm going to look on the fields. Years ago, there was a song that I sang when I was a teenager. It was kind of a popular song growing up. Let me see this world, dear Lord, through your eyes. Oh, that we would see men and women through God's eyes. That we would see lost souls through God's eyes. That we would see the condition of our world through God's eyes. Not enough for us to simply lift our eyes, but we must then look, the Bible says. Some of us are looking, but we're looking the wrong way. We're looking in the wrong direction. My kids, I I love my kids very dearly, and I enjoy playing around with them. And my daughter, especially Reagan, she's one. Now, Alyssa used to have fun with Dad doing that, but now she's old and ornery, and she says, Dad, that's embarrassing. But Reagan, when she, when she and I are playing around sometimes, she'd be like, Dad, look. And I'll be like, what, what? And she's wanting me to look at something over here. I'll be like, what? No, it's over here. What, what? And I'll, I'll look everywhere I can except for where she wants me to look. 
And it exasperates her. And she's like, Dad, quit playing around right here. Where? I don't see it. And Jonathan do the same thing. I do it to Liz, and she's like, Dad, that's embarrassing. But, you know, we look many times everywhere except where we're supposed to. We look at the cares of this life. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a good soldier. Don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. Don't become so encumbered with the cares of this life that we fail to see those that are lost. Missions is one of the greatest things that that I think a church can be involved in. I think churches ought to be planting churches and churches ought to be sending missionaries and reaching people. And I think people that sit in the pews of our churches ought to be the candidates that, that say, Lord, I'm willing, if you want to call me to be a missionary, I'm willing to be a missionary. We live in a day where there are more missionaries retiring from the field than are going to the field. And I am convinced this morning as I stand here preaching before you that God has not quit calling people. I just believe that people have quit listening because they don't look in the right place. Their eye doesn't affect their heart. How many of you just by raising of hand know of at least one person that you are pretty sure is not saved? Would you raise your hand this morning? You know at least one? Perhaps a family member, a friend, a co-worker. When was the last time we spent time praying and saying, Lord, would you provide an opportunity for me to share the gospel with that one person? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if in the year 2013, as we finish it up here in the next two months, we'd say, Lord, in the next two months, would you give me at least one soul, one person that I can share the gospel with? You say, well, Brother Greg, that's not sure they're going to get saved. You know what? That's not your job to get them saved. Don't get confused by that. It's your job to go. It's your job to share the gospel. It's God's word to say, God's job to save them. It's the Holy Spirit's job to draw their heart. Years ago when I was growing up, I saw... At four years of age, I believe it was, I was sitting over on this side of the auditorium and I saw a bunch of people come forward at the end of the, uh, of the service and they knelt at an altar and I thought, boy, that looks pretty fun. And at four years of age, I wanted to get up there and I wanted to, to kneel down like they did and I wanted my mom or my dad to come put their arm around me and pray with me. And I thought, boy, that looks pretty neat. And I went up to the altar that day and, and my mom came down and she said, Greg, what are you doing? I said, well, I just saw everybody else come. I said, I I just felt like the Lord wanted me to come up here. She said, well, I'll, I'll talk with you more about it when I get home. We got home that night, and I'll never forget, we went into Mom and Dad's bedroom, and I sat on the edge of the bed, and she talked to me about being saved. She said, would you like to go to heaven when you die? I said, absolutely. And she said, well, let's pray. And so we prayed together. And for many, many years, I looked back to that time, and I said, that's the time that I got saved. But the truth of the matter is, I didn't understand one thing that I did that day. There was certainly no act of faith, I'll tell you that. It was was something that a young boy who was infatuated with something that he saw that that caught his attention and caught his amusement, that said, you know, I want to go do that. As I got to be in the early teen years of my life, I began to struggle with that. I didn't notice a change in my life. There were certainly things, as the Apostle Paul said many times, he said, there are things that I wish that I didn't do that I find myself doing. He said, there are things that I know I ought to do that I won't do. And, 
and, and he was so frustrated with himself, and I could, I could empathize with that. And I could say, you know, I, I, can, I, I don't find myself doing the things that I know I'm supposed to do as a Christian young man. And I struggle so often. <clears throat> I remember having nightmares of the rapture happening. And my mom and my dad and my older sister would all go up into heaven. And I know it, that the rapture doesn't happen like this. The Bible says it's in a twinkling of an eye. But in my mind, they were rising, and I was still on the ground. And I remember jumping as hard as I could, and I kept falling back down. And I kept thinking, Lord, why? At 13 years of age, I could take it no longer. A man got up, and he preached in a high school chapel service at the school that I was attending at the time, a Christian school. At the end of his preaching, he said, how many of you God has spoken to your heart about something? And that's all he worded. He didn't say about being saved. And I raised my hand. He came to me after the the chapel service was over. And he said, Greg, he said, I don't normally do this. But he said, I noticed your hand went up so quickly in the invitation time. He says, is there anything that I can pray with you about? I said, Brother Stu, I don't know that I'm saved. Thirteen years of age, growing up in a pastor's home. I don't know that I'm saved. He said, well, you know how to be saved, don't you? I said, oh, yes, I've heard it many, many times. I said, Brother Durstock, I don't think I have ever put my faith and trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And trusting only that to take me to heaven. He went and got my dad, and my dad came in, and he cried with me and wept with me. I remember kneeling down there in that chair in that office. And for the first time in my life, Saying, Lord, I'm not trusting the fact that I'm a pastor's son. I'm not trusting the fact that I live in a Christian home or that I attend a Christian school. But I am trusting only in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I got up from that chair and the most glorious thing happened. My life was changed and it was changed forever. I'll never forget, we we had devotions in our classes for every day and the students would take turns giving the devotion I went to the teacher that day and I said, can I give the devotion tomorrow? And she said, absolutely. And I got up and gave the devotion. And I loved it. I enjoyed it. I got home that night and prepared it and and got into my Bible and and thought, man, this is great. I had a joy and and a freshness in my soul and something is now different. And the next day I said, can I do devotions again? And she said, absolutely. And I did them again. And I said, can I do them again? And th- three or four days I did them. And then finally a, a young man in our, in our class came up to me at recess. And he said, Greg, there's something different about you. I said, let me tell you what happened. And I told him, and his name, uh, his name was Eric Bush. And I said, Eric, I said, let me tell you what happened. And I remember out on the playground kneeling down by an old pine tree as Eric bowed his head and trusted Christ as his Savior. I had never seen anybody saved before in my life. But something glorious had happened to me and I couldn't help but share it with somebody. If we're sitting here this morning, we've been saved. Can I share with you this morning that something glorious has happened to you? Can we not share it with somebody? A friend of mine by the name of Wayne Korfman who lost his wife after many, many years, Brother Wayne is 76, 78, oh, 86, he, I'm, where am I at, 86 years old this year, I, I was going to say, I know he's more than 8 years old, very dear friend of mine though, he lost his wife about 6 or 7 years ago, he was talking to me one night, he said, Greg, he said, I talk about my Catherine to anybody that will listen to me. 
He said, you know why I talk about her so much? And I said, why, Brother Wayne? He said, because I loved her. I loved her so much. He said, I found that you talk about the people that you love the most. And boy, I was convicted. I left that time that I spent with Brother Wayne talking to him. And I thought, Lord, I'm supposed to love you more than anything in this world. And yet I don't talk about you as much as I should. Somebody comes and says, Greg, are you a Christian? Do you, do you, do you? say, oh, let me tell you about him. Oh, he's the most wonderful thing that's ever happened in my life. You got about four hours, I'll share with you all that I can about him. That's the way we ought to be. He says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already unto harvest. Now I want you to notice the last two things as we get to verse number, back up to verse 34. Jesus said, my meat, that which sustains me, that which causes me to continue to exist, that which strengthens me, that which gives me energy, that which gives me focus in life, my meat, my purpose is to what? The Bible says is to, first of all, say it with me, do. Say it with me, do the will of Him that sent me. Not know the will of Him that sent me. I dare say that in a room this size, we all sit here and say, you know, Brother Greg, I know that it is the purpose of every Christian to share the gospel. I know that God's commanded us to do that. But can I tell you, there's a big difference between knowing something and doing something. We all have been in that boat, haven't we? Well, we know we ought to be doing this, but, boy, I just don't. How many times have we either made the excuse or heard somebody make the excuse? Well, I know what's right, but, you know, I just really struggle with, well, let's not know it. Let's do it. And then I want you to notice he says, secondly, lastly, in verse number 34, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I could get to the end of our lives, stand before God and say as the Apostle Paul, I have finished my course. That which you have given me to do, Lord, I have finished it. I have completed in my generation, in the amount of time that you gave me on this earth, I have completed that which you've given me to do. What is God's purpose for your life? He said, Brother Greg, I'm 40-some years old. I'm 50-some years old. I'm in the middle of a career. I've got a family. What is God telling you to do? I could never preach. I could never go to a mission field. I could never be a Sunday school teacher. I could never run a bus route. I could never go out on a Monday night or visitation night and tell people about the Lord. Jesus told his disciples, his inner group, those that loved him most. He said, fellas, don't sit back and say there are yet four months. I tell you, the fields are ripe already. It's been on the news here just recently of the school teacher that was killed in the school up here. I doubt that morning when she got up and got ready for school that she thought about that. Was it, was it a lady or a fella? It was a lady.